Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis. Felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Then I started Cosentix. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe black psoriasis, 300 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top quality personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Welcome into Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Thursday afternoon, as I am joined today by a very special guest. He is newly crowned champion of the Eurostep podcast with Rohan Kati. It is Ty Windish himself, at Ty Windish. Uh, dude, it is so great to have you on. I'm so excited to finally get to have the chance to speak to somebody who covers the Bucks. And perhaps there is nobody who is more emblematic of that in Bucks Twitter than you are across the NBA. So uh, thank you for taking the time with me, and I'm and I'm happy to have you on. Appreciate the kind words. Really excited. I think I, I just feel like I pick up a little bit of a disdain for a lot of the other good teams, right? Just you see them beat the Bucks and, and everything else. The Nuggets, one of the few teams I think who have been quite good with a player who's quite good gets compared to Giannis. Uh, a, a good deal, I think, of course, in Jokic, who I haven't really picked up the disdain for yet. And of course, zero disdain for you, Ryan, as a person. But even the Nuggets, I, I, I this is enjoyable. So I'm glad to, to come on and, and talk all sorts of things, but definitely to talk with someone who, who covers Denver. I appreciate it, man. It's It's been good to bounce around the league. I, I talked with Justin Rowan about the East non-contenders. I just spoke with Greg Wisinger on the, the West non-contenders. And now we're, we're going back to the contending side, and it should be a lot of fun. Uh, but first, I, I just wanted to ask you, this has been a really great time to be a Bucks fan, of course. But before this, it was just such a pressure-packed time to be a Bucks fan, given the expectations that have been on the team for so long. Uh, Denver and the Nuggets, they're just trying to, they're kind of, kind of coming into their expectations, uh, given the, the, 
Jokic winning an MVP and them faltering to the Suns in a pretty ugly way, though it was without Jamal Murray. Uh, my question to you, how do you handle that pressure as a fan base, staying positive, staying in the right mental frame, uh, given that it may not always be an upward trajectory? Yeah, I think really um, just focusing like game by game and trying to enjoy stuff. That's really what I harped on a ton near the end of last year. And then this year, for sure, uh, the bubble was not enjoyable at all for, for Bucks <laughs> folks, but yeah. especially this season um, and really like between the bubble and Giannis resigning, because that was really the, the crux of it, right? Was it's not just, oh, he, we're not, maybe they're, they're going to squander a year. It's, oh, maybe they're going to squander this chance at this generational player. And if he goes, I mean, might be 50 more years until you find another one, right? Like that's that's the way the league works for markets like Milwaukee. But I think my main thing was like, hey, listen, we have at least one year before he re-upped. And after he re-upped, everything became a whole lot easier. But before he re-upped, we got at least a year. He's not going to force his way out. We know Giannis. He's a generational talent. We have a very good team. Best team the Bucks had had since they had Giannis with adding Drew Holiday and eventually P.J. Tucker. Let's just enjoy the games. The games are going to be really fun. Nobody wants to do this anymore. Not nobody, but like all the national stuff is like, you know, looking at next free agency and who's going to demand a trade and are the Lakers going to win five titles in a row? Let's just enjoy the games. Isn't that what the point of this whole thing is, is the games? Like, Let's watch the games and enjoy the games. And I think I'm going to keep focusing on that this year with a bunch of championship nostalgia thrown in because that is the point of it at the end of the day. And it should be fun to watch Giannis, to watch Jokic. Like, you can stress out. You can be critical. We do. I'm still very critical of the Bucks and moves they've made and not made over the years. You can do both. But I think enjoying the basketball is what it comes down to. And I don't know if there's a fan base that has that easier than the Nuggets getting to watch Jokic every single game. It is. It really is a joy to watch. We've we've been blessed uh, because it was a second round pick after all. Like this, this was something that was completely unexpected. And Denver's trajectory they they initially branded around Emmanuel Mudiay when when he was drafted in 2015. And there was a little known Serbian rookie that that came over in that same year after spending a year in the Adriatic League. And, and things have just been so out of left field for this organization in the best possible way, uh, getting Murray and, and that working out, getting Michael Porter and that seemingly working out and now hopefully getting Aaron Gordon. So we're, we're going to see how I, we're going to see how this works. We're going to see how this puts together. Uh, I don't know if you know this or you, you probably do, but in the drew holiday sweepstakes, the nuggets finished runner up. They were initially in on that and the bucks came over the top of them with three first round picks and two pick swaps and were absolutely flamed for it by the masses. And I, I it sort of worked part. out. Sort of worked part. out. <laughs> I knew the flamed part. That's for sure. Uh, it's just funny to, to see how connected these teams actually are with their uh, international superstar, somebody who isn't necessarily respected by the general conglomerate that is the NBA and the NBA fraternity. And ultimately just taking that upon themselves and, and, and continuing to push through that no matter what uh, Jamal Murray's never made an all-star game. Michael Porter still like he's, he's probably in line and in, in, in some respects, but there's just a lot of comparisons, I think between these two teams and nuggets fans are really hoping that 
if Murray gets back to where he was and perhaps better, then this is the way to go for, for this Nuggets team. I think it's interesting. Do you do do we know much about the Nuggets offer? Obviously, they didn't want to do all the picks that the Bucks did, but was it basically the Gordon stuff? Uh, I believe that it was Gary Harris, Monte Morris, Bull oh, Bull, and two first round picks. So, but the never, never the core guys, right? They'll never trade. Never, the core yeah, guys. never, never yeah. the core guys, and and that was really the difference. I think is that they were never going to include Michael Porter. They were yeah. never going to include Jamal Murray. Uh, it was either going to be Gary Harris or Will Barton. And then Monte Morris was a, a very good sweetener for a, a, a clearly a New Orleans team that is just in absolute shambles right now in their backcourt right now. Uh, but it is interesting that that the Bucks trumped what the Nuggets offered. And had they not, had they decided to play it a little bit more passively and play it within within the value confines, then they may not have a title at this point. They they certainly they don't listen. If 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 they're rolling with blood, so they don't have a title, and they probably don't have a Giannis next year either. That's the thing that I think people discounted at the time, and still even now, although less so post championship and Drew's part in the value oop and everything else, and just the, the offense fluctuated wildly throughout the playoffs as it does with Drew, but. The defense was there every single night and he was a good playmaker pretty much every game too but you know Giannis re-upped like a couple weeks after that deal like that he wanted to win he made it very clear he wanted to win not not enough to hold their their feet to the flames the whole year because I think he knew correctly maybe the team doesn't come together the way it did if that's an issue every day and there's all these questions about him leaving I think he didn't want that that paid off too but, you know, it's Giannis did. I think this is kind of uh, ignored when people look back now at, you know, Giannis's career and, and him with the Bucks. But there was pressure applied. For sure there was pressure applied. It wasn't the same way that a guy like LeBron or, or certainly like an Anthony Davis has done it. But he made it very clear that they needed a talent upgrade. Everyone could tell. And he made the Bucks go give up everything they had to do it, which is the kind of context that gets ignored by you know, trade grades, aggregated stuff, whatever else. And I do think it's an important lesson that, you know, it worked. So if it's, it's a little bit reminiscent of the Nuggets and the Aaron Gordon deal that people are panning, I'm not, I, I don't love it, but also you're not going to lose Aaron Gordon on a team with prime Nikola Jokic who just won MVP, right? And if there is a time, maybe this year, if, if Murray's not back in time, where they could add a Drew-like player for a lot of draft picks, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you just always do it when you have a guy like Jokic or like Giannis, and that in that level of you can probably win a title with that guy. I think you kind of always just have to do it, even if it's risky, even if it jeopardizes six years from now. I mean, people f- freaking out because the Bucks include a 2025 and 2027 first. I don't care. They won the title <laughs> in 2021. I don't care about the seventh graders, man. Like you have to go for it when you have that kind of a player. And I just think that's the real lesson of the Drew trade. Oh, it's a great point. And, uh, and Denver, they've, they've always been about not skipping steps. Uh, I think that the Aaron Gordon deal and then subsequent extension was the next step for this team, but it was only after they, they had the foundation that they had. And, and you, you can't, you can't do that deal and justify that deal until you have a superstar in Jokic, a potential all-star in Murray, a potential all-star in Porter, and things like that. So it is interesting to talk about, though I I, I 
think that we should transition now into the rest of the East contenders, because I think this is a, this is going to be a really interesting year for the East. And one of the things that really stands out about this group after breaking down uh, with Justin was that the top of the tier is really, really good. And the bottom of the East contender tier, I I have a lot of questions about, uh, unlike the West, where I think you could make a case about any of the top six or seven teams and say, oh, yeah, they could definitely make the the conference finals. It's a little bit harder in the East, right? Yeah, I definitely think it is. Personally, I see a top two, and I think it's just two. Uh, I don't know if you want to start at the bottom or the top. I mean, there's not a lot of suspense. I'm I'm a Bucks guy, especially knowing that you can't just – Count Brooklyn. You just can't. I mean, the, the talent there is is ridiculous. Even with only 1.5 of the stars, they they push the Bucks to seven. And then the Bucks. I mean, the Bucks are the reigning champs. They still have Giannis. The only player they lost is PJ Tucker, who was the oldest member of their core. It is a loss. They're deeper than last year. They're they're still quite good. So I don't, I don't know which side you want to start on the the top or the the middle squishy part of the East contenders. But <laughs> I think clearly there's a top tier, and then like you said. There's a bunch of teams with a bunch of question marks that I think it's hard. If you assume Milwaukee and Brooklyn are one, two, I still think at this point, it's pretty hard to imagine that's not the conference finals. Yeah. So the way that I did with this with Justin and then with Greg uh, was that I I had already outlined based off of uh, my personal opinions, uh, different lists that people had, the ESPN forecast, uh, over-unders, that Mm -hmm. the East non-contenders, I had eight teams listed. I already went over them with Justin, but the seven remaining teams that I had were in alphabetical order, Atlanta, Boston, Brooklyn, Miami, Milwaukee, New York, and Philadelphia. Now, New York is the one that Justin and I were like, eh, this is a little <laughs> bit sketchy. And, and the, the real reason why I divided it eight and seven was because I wanted equal content to be able to talk about for both <laughs> podcasts. However, I am willing to throw out New York because I think that it is just extremely unlikely that they reach the Eastern Conference Finals, given the lack of top end talent and that their their talent just has a lot of questions. What do you think? Yeah, I, I see New York more as I think I think there's like there's kind of four tiers if you really want to break it down. There's the tippy top, then there's like the Miami Philly group where like yeah they're good and, and maybe they go on a run or maybe they make a big acquisition. And then I think there's like Indy, Chicago, and the Knicks where it's like they have talent. They're not terrible, but. Like they weren't very good, and and in the Bulls' case, they were like not even playing good, and then they acquired DeRozan and Lonzo. So let's see the Knicks' case. Like I think they got a little better too, but they lost in the first round. And like you said, I think really it's the top end talent thing. Randall had such a great year, but then did not look like that guy at all in the playoffs. And it's not like you know they didn't play a, a superstar center. I mean Clint Capella, a defensive and all defense level kind of center, I think last year, but still. To just see him get neutralized, it really gives you pause in saying the Knicks can contend because we know it's just, if you don't have a guy on that level, it's just so hard. Like that's the difference between the teams you listed. They all have a guy who, at least you can project, has that kind of, if not MVP, like all NBA season. And I guess Randall might've made a team too, but after that playoff showing, it's just hard to buy into him as much as it, as like as easy as it is for 
Trey Young, who was awesome all throughout the playoffs, or you know Jimmy right. Butler, or certainly Embiid. Like those guys, it's very easy to say, oh yeah, okay, that guy could go to the conference finals, could maybe make a finals run. Don't think you can say that about Randall and the Knicks right now, even if I did kind of like their offseason. It's kind of like the Pascal Siakam tier is how I would yeah. really describe it, where you have a star, and, and I would call Randall a star, I would call Pascal Siakam a star, where they they just haven't proven it at the highest level that they can be the top option on a team. And it also gives questions on whether they'd even be a competent second option on said teams. But what I will say in their defense was that for New York specifically, uh, they did go get Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier. That should open up their spacing just a little bit more. Uh, Randall is absolutely capable of bouncing back. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be that level of player forever in the playoffs because that really was his first opportunity uh, to be the guy. And I, I can't imagine like like you, you went through uh, and the the growing the growing pains with Giannis were a little bit lesser than what we're really talking about here. Uh, but everybody has growing pains. Everybody has things to figure out, especially if you're a bruiser who's going down Main Street and trying to use your muscle in a playoff series where it's just a little bit more difficult to get the shots that you want. So I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt there. The main question, other than if if the Walker and Fournier things are enough or if Randall is good enough, is is this a regular season defense or a playoff defense? Because Tom Thibodeau, is very used to playing ice coverage, drop coverage, and not really doing a whole heck of a lot else. They had a good formula for it in the regular season. Is that going to translate to the playoffs? I think there's a big question there. Yeah, and I guess one more pro next thing is this could be a year where R.J. Barrett takes a little bit of a leap. I think a guy who got trashed year one, which really unfair considering, I mean, you talk about their spacing improved even last year, their their whole situation was so much better than than Barrett's rookie year. Um, and it was year but, one. Year yeah, one. <laughs> and, and it was year one, exactly. So, you know, I could see if, if he takes a step forward, maybe they can be that kind of, they don't have the clear superstar, but they just have a lot of good players. But usually, usually those teams are ceiling at conference finals. And this year with the top two in the East, even that is difficult if the bracket doesn't break right for you. Hundred percent, and you have to have the bracket break right. And and actually, for Atlanta specifically, that's what did happen. And you had the the right teams that they were able to face up until the Eastern Conference Finals, where the talented disadvantage was just too much. Um, could that be New York this year? I don't know. I don't know. We're gonna figure it out. And and I'm open to the possibility that if the bracket does break right, if they get the right team with the the wrong superstar injured. Then I think I think they deserve to be in this tier based off of the the baseline that they established this past year and the improvements that they did make. So we will see. Uh, the other team that I want to talk about in this tier, as extremely unlikely as the Boston Celtics. Uh, this is a very interesting one because they just disappointed so greatly this last year, and everybody sort of laughed. Um, are they better this year? Or should should they be better this year? What do you think? You pretty much have to be relying on in mostly internal development. If if you say yes, I mean they're they're off season really weird. Marcus Smart gets this big contract that I, I don't hate, but seems like it's sort of implied they're going to let him be a point guard more. 
Don't know if that's the answer. I think Dennis Schroeder falling to them for what he did after his market evaporated was really fortunate. We'll see if they're how much they actually use him based on that. Getting Horford back, it's like, sure, you know, swapping Kemba for Horford after you swapped Horford for Kemba. I don't know how many answers he's providing for you. I think he's a fine backup center. You know, at one point, I think I looked at, like, if he got bought out by the Thunder, I would love to have him on the Bucks for a minimum behind Lopez, right? But sure, it's not a big role. You know, that's like, he'd be great as as a backup center, like a, an emergency valve. That They may be planning on starting him with Robert Williams. I, I think that was Zach Lowe's projected starting five for them. Mm-hmm. I don't know about that one. Um, the Robert Williams thing, too, I, I think he's fine, Time Lord, but big contract for a guy who hasn't stayed healthy and... I just I, I always worry a little bit about paying these guys where it's like, oh yeah, he seems like a good but not great center who doesn't do anything extraordinary. I think you get into range where it's like, well, you could probably just pick someone up for, you know, MLE, less than MLE, who does a lot of the same things. I, I just think their team is very weird and pretty clearly it's like, okay, if Tatum and Brown can be even better and stay healthy, and of course COVID and everything else, they dealt with COVID last year, which a lot of teams did, but I don't, they, they had it pretty bad, especially Tatum. Maybe they can be better. Maybe they can contend, but I think you'd really, Tatum in particular would need to be like very, very good all season long. And not just in the kind of like his shot percentages, but the kind of shots he takes. And it, it's difficult for them. I think they're a weird team. I kind of don't love the fit of their long-term core pretty much being smart Brown Tatum. Cause I think they could really use a true point guard with those players. And I'm not sure they're ever going to have the capability to actually get one. Although the Kemba thing didn't work out. So maybe I'm, I'm just off on that. Who knows? Yeah. And even Kemba, like he, he always was a guy who was looking to get 20 as well and get, get to about that 20 and six range with a team like that. And, in my opinion, it, it just seemed like they were playing tug of war a lot of the time. And when you don't have that true facilitator, it, it just becomes very difficult to run legitimate offense unless you have a good fulcrum point as the centerpiece. Uh, and whether that's Robert Williams for them, whether that's Al Horford, I, I just tend to dismiss that at least a little bit offhand. Uh, Robert Williams is not Nikola Jokic and nor is Al Horford. And Al Horford's entering his 15th year. Like that's, that is really old. And as, as somebody who like, we just saw Paul Millsap go from a, just a massively impactful piece to somebody who was basically unplayable at times. Uh, it, it, it goes really quickly and them putting a lot of faith in Horford, I think is probably misplaced. Um, Josh Richardson, Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard. What are we really talking about here? Like, like they, could it like maybe I guess they could break out at least a little bit, but I I just I tend to think that it's going to come down to Tatum. It's going to come down to whether he can become a primary playmaker as opposed to the secondary playmaker for others as he is right now. Uh, I don't think that they should be trying to pigeonhole him into a primary playmaking role because he's really good right now where he is and uh, trying to put him into that Paul George Kawhi Leonard type role is probably better than trying to make him into LeBron. Yeah, I was just thinking Paul George as well and really thinking about even if even if Tatum plays as well as like the best we've seen from Paul George, which is a very good player. Very. Doesn't make this team a contender though, I don't think, right? Like that's a that's a pretty 
optimistic for this or still early in Tatum's career was this year four I think it's going to be or whatever it is if he's you know prime Paul George already which it took Paul George like a decade or so to get there I think um I still don't think they're they're truly as as good as the Bucks or or the uh the Nets like they, they don't have a very complete roster I think they're a little better I think they were very thin last year but I still think it's a weird roster and I, I just I, I just don't love the fit I don't love the push and pull and it's you know question mark new coach now and we're gonna see how that works out it the signs are good he sounds like a very qualified candidate but for all the people getting sick of hearing about Brad Stevens he's a very good coach so it might might be a coaching downgrade I guess we'll see that was a weird situation I don't know I think they're one of those teams where I like some of the talent I'm gonna have to see something to buy into it though after they didn't have I think a great offseason and they just haven't proved it to us lately let's take a break when we come back we are going to get into some sort of this higher tier of where they could really they could they could really sway themselves on on we, we could definitely do this, but it would be disappointing if they didn't. We will be right back. We're back. Pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackford here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Joined by Ty Windish of the Eurostep podcast. It is a wonderful podcast that you should absolutely check out and check out the, all of the coverage that he does for the Milwaukee Bucks as well. Let's get into this next tier. We, we just finished up on the Boston Celtics, on the New York Knicks. Those guys were, they were graded as the sixth and seventh ranked teams in the Eastern Conference by that ESPN forecast. Boston at 45 and 37, New York at 44 and 38. Uh, we now jump up a little bit here to a team that made the Eastern Conference Finals last year, to a team that sort of had the perfect route in order to get there. But a lot of people have some questions about their actual ceiling. It's the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, they are the fifth ranked team in this forecast at 47 and 35 over under on DraftKings is 46 and a half. And there are some big questions with this group for sure. Uh, although a, a lot less big questions, I think than even a couple of the teams ahead of them was last year, a fluke. Did they catch opponents at the right time? What do you think about this Atlanta team and, and what, their ceiling actually is i think fluke is tough um you know do i think that in a typical year that group was an eastern conference finals team probably not again like are they getting there if brooklyn and and milwaukee take one and two I, i don't think so the sixers are such a weird team to consider because as good as they've been in the regular seasons obviously they hold that one seed or held that one seed last year have yet to make it to a conference finals in this in this iteration. So certainly I think I, I don't think any of the Hawks wins were fluky. Like I think they deserve to beat the Sixers. Cert, of course, deserve to beat the Knicks. And they deserve to be in a series with the Bucks. I don't know how pushed the Bucks ever really felt outside of the Giannis injury concern. And of course, after they lose him, they run off two wins without him, although Trey Young was banged up in that series too he does come back and play although not really the same impact but i i think they deserve to beat all the teams they beat which would mean 
you know, they would have beaten anyone except the top two teams, right? Like, I think if you can beat Philly, I think you can make the case they would have beat that Miami team, which wasn't as good as the the bubble year, of course, or whoever else you want to pick in the East. Nobody else really all that inspiring, I think, in the conference. But I don't expect them to make the conference finals this year. I really, the, the interesting thing for me is going to be they kind of skirted around the issue of we have too many guys that can play, which doesn't sound like an issue. Of course, it's good to be deep, but they have a lot of guys who should feel yeah. like they're starter minutes level guys when they're all healthy. And maybe they just won't be. They're already going to be out Okongu for a while, though he's not really a, a guy I'd put in that tier. They just have all these, especially wings and, and Collins who can sort. Now they play him at the five, which that helps a little bit. But can they manage all these players when they're not probably all going to play as much as they want all season long? That's what I'm interested to see. Cause I think they have talent, even if they don't have the absolute top end talent, I think they're going to have to figure out who is, who is number two with Trey young, who is number three and how do we maybe move some pieces around, around those guys to keep everyone happy and keep us as a balanced team. I think they're doing a really good job. I think they're in a good position. That's a good problem to have, but I do think they're probably going to run into that at some point this year. Yeah. So just kind of going through their roster here, Trey Young is obviously going to hold it down at point guard. They acquired Lou Williams last year, uh, and that made a massive difference, as, as you well know. Uh, they also picked up DeLon Wright over this course of this offseason. They have Bogdan Bogdanovich. They have Kevin Herter. They have DeAndre Hunter. They have Cam Reddish. They have John Collins. They have Danilo Gallinari. They have Onyeka Okongwu. They have Clint Capella. Oh, and they picked up Gorgie Jang. Yeah, who they just, got Gorgie just, Jang now. Yeah. And they have Jalen Johnson, who they just drafted as a first-round pick, who they're very high on, and Sharif Cooper, who they drafted. And he's a two-way player for them and is probably not going to play. But like he's, he's a guy that a lot of people are high on. So this is a stacked roster from top to bottom, where they have the depth, I think, that you need to get through a regular season. And so as they have sort of figured themselves out in – uh, a regular season context through the lens of the playoffs. I think that they're going to really surprise a lot of people with their regular season record. I think that they could be really, really good as long as they're good enough when Trey young is off the floor. What do you think they about their solutions there and, and what they could really do to uh, sort of ease that burden on others? I actually think the Lou will move worked out a lot better than I anticipated. I, when they basically swapped Rondo for him, the Rondo thing just wasn't working. And I think there's a little bit to this idea of maybe it's working because he's more of a approximation of what Trey is right. Rondo and Trey kind of the opposite, not the odd, they're both gifted playmakers, but Trey, a gifted scorer who likes to shoot and score Rondo, very much not that like, wasn't last year Mark Gasol levels of like, I just won't shoot. I don't care what you want or need, but <laughs> yeah. not, not a player who's going to take a bunch of shots. Lou will though. I, I think he came in and clearly not as good, but a dangerous potent scorer playmaker. I think it made it easier for the rest of the team to, to cope. And I think they, they played well, even in the playoffs when Trey wasn't able to go with Lou will subbing in there. They didn't, they didn't lose that much of a beat. Although of course they did lose the series. Um, so I think that's a good addition. I think Delon Wright is another like fine, just safety valve combo guard for them. That's one where you're looking at like, how much is he going to play if everyone is healthy, right? Like, yeah, it just Trey seems like an 11th man, like, yeah, just like kind of like 
Well, for most teams, he's like eight or nine or maybe 10. Like it shows you how loaded they are. And I do think this is a team There was already, I think, some talk that Gallo was a little bit available, which makes sense with the Collins, the Collins move. I think you get Gallo on that big deal and you go, okay, if we lose John Collins, we lose John Collins. At least we have Gallo. Now they're, they got Collins on a deal. Now they're like, okay, now I guess we don't need Gallo for all these years and money, although he was quite good. That This is a team where if they make a cons- uh, consolidation trade, which is not easy to do in the NBA, but it's easier with this level of talent and this level of young guys. So they could do like a, a Bogdanovich and one of the Reddish or Hunter or Gallo and one of those guys. And it's a lot of salary, but it's like a very good package. I think they have pretty much all their picks. If they added, and he's not available right now, but if they added a Beal or even a Dame, which I think the fit is weird, but talent is talent, then they could be very, (laughs) very dangerous, right? Like Trey and Beal, they would still be deep. I, I think unless they do that, I don't think they would beat the top two teams. But I think they're a good team and they're on the right path. Now it's just like this, it's like kind of where Denver was at before Gordon of like, we have all these young guys, the Hawks have even more assets, I think, but it's like, we don't want to move too soon and mess this up. Like, when do we make the move is where they're at, right? Like what, what, how big is the move and when do we make the move? Are we going to get a guy who's like Michael Porter or are we going to have to settle for a bunch of guys who are like the tier below that and what do we do then it's it's a very difficult position although it's a good one to be in for the hawks 100 percent, and and there are definitely comparisons there where you've got the formula that works and now you just have to build out and and kind of cover for the weaknesses and and try to develop that to the best place it can be so uh yeah so espn forecast had them at 47 wins i think i would probably predict them higher than that which means i'm taking the over on dk uh the rules that are stopping Trey Young from potentially doing the the foul drawing stuff. Yeah, uh, is there a take there? What what do you think is going to happen with that? I really hope they actually do it. Is my first take, um, <laughs> first take. But I hope they actually cut it down. Um, I think it, it would negatively impact Trey. I still think he's going to be a really good player, right? Like I don't think it's going to stop his impact. I would I would prefer it if he was forced to play the game a little bit more holistically. I would like that. I think he's very capable of that. I think that rule could hurt two teams. We're not going to talk about the Bulls. I think it hurt the Bulls, and it could hurt a team we have yet to talk about more even than than it could hurt the Hawks and Trey. But I think that'll really put emphasis on he takes these logo threes, not actually a very good three-point shooter, could put a lot of emphasis on that. I think it might make his three-point shooting even more important than it already is. But I don't think it's going to help him if they actually do it. But I hope they do for my sake as just a basketball watcher. Yeah, and – us at the with the nuggets like and and you guys like you guys too especially like like there there's a lot of hey what the hell my guy is just in the paint trying to do whatever he can to score is getting hacked as much as possible and and this little guy over here is just jumping into people jumping away from the hoop in order to get basket it's it's very frustrating we dealt with that with teams like phoenix and with with portland and uh James Harden for, for as long as possible. So it's just, uh, it's, it's understandable there. So we're, we're totally on your side with that. Um, but yeah, I think this Hawks team is going to be really good. I, I don't see any reason why they would take a step back actually. Like I think that they are on the upward trajectory and you just need one of those wings to hit. It's not, yeah. it's not like a, a massive thing to say, Oh yeah. Hey, Deandre Hunter go from 17 to 20 points a game. 
or Kevin Herter take your your playoff performance and just kind of build upon that. I think he's very capable of doing that. So we're we're just gonna have to see. It should be fun. Um, yeah. This Miami Heat team is. That's the team I was talking about, by the way. Yeah. The yeah, Jimmy is. Uh, hmm. How much longer do you think Jimmy Butler can kind of be that top pseudo option for a, a championship caliber team? That's the question of their whole team. Um, and I think that's what it all comes down to. Quietly, he really wasn't last year. He was good. The advanced metrics were, were really good. but Really good. The bubble, But the bubble year, like you could see it, right? Like he was Kawhi-esque in what he did on both ends, the control he had of Miami's offense, and how great he was on defense, of course. I mean, literally going toe-to-toe toe -to -toe with LeBron. And he was always – he's been good for a very long time. He was never that good. He was never, ever that good. He was always very good. He was very good on the Sixers. He was good. I think there was one Miami year before the bubble. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there wasn't. But, like, he's good on the Sixers, a beneficial player. But the guy who was in the bubble, he would have been, like, around as good as Embiid. And if they were both that good in Philly, I don't think they're at this point now where they've never made a conference finals, right? Like, I think they, they probably could have hung on and outlasted the Raptors. Is he going to be that guy? That's their question. Because if he's not, they're just they're not gonna they're not gonna win the East. They're, they're just not. They can't. They need him to be that guy again. And I think there's all this talk. Maybe he was injured last year. Maybe not. I don't think they ever announced or reported anything. I don't think he ever confirmed it. Didn't look anything close to that guy in the playoffs for whatever reason. I think the Bucks were well suited to stop him. Um, him and him and Bam together on offense made the Bucks very comfortable in just taking away the paint. And he just refused to shoot. He just wouldn't shoot. And I do think, you know, if he if he's taken a half step back or, or more from the bubble performance, but his athleticism a little bit, the foul rule doesn't help him much. If he's still just not going to shoot, I just wonder, like, is the overall impact ever going to be there again? And if it's not, great. You, you know, you had Kyle Lowry and, and they have a good team and they paid a lot of money to Duncan Robinson, who has yet to do all that much in the playoffs. I don't know. Like, I think it might be a very expensive aging thing if, if Jimmy's not going to be that guy again this year. So I think there's a lot riding on him doing that bubble kind of performance again. Because if he doesn't, I just I don't really see how they get to where they want to go. And on top of Jimmy Butler, they they brought in Kyle Lowry. And so they've kind of doubled down on guys who you don't you don't know where their peak performance is going to be and whether they can sustain that for a year like this one that's about to be upcoming. It's it's a little bit of a shorter offseason, and they're going back to 82. And it's it's just going to be tough to get through the East, as it, and especially through that Eastern Conference playoff picture. Uh, it's going to be hard to stay healthy for those guys. And and I'm, I'm a little bit concerned. You've had a lot of talk about the Lakers being a potential health risk, about the, the Nets being a potential health risk, of course, and those are two warranted ones. But the Miami Heat are as well. Like that's that is definitely something that I would be concerned about if I were them, and if I were if I were picking and spending a whole bunch of money trying to convince myself that the Heat could be a contender. Uh, where are you at with Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson? Is kind of the the young prospects for that team, and, and whether they can continue to grow. Yeah, I, I think Hero is pretty good. Um, biased, we're both Milwaukee guys, but. I think he's fine. Like he obviously wasn't all that good last year. I think this year they're going to need less from him, which is probably good. Um, he probably is. And I think 
I think yeah, I want to say it's Gianni on, on Miami Heat beat who's maintained like his best case is he becomes Lou Will, right? Which is good. I mean, you get that guy at the end of the lottery. That that's a mm. good value add. But I, I know there's a lot of people even within like Heat Twitter who don't see that superstar turn for him, which I think is is fair. It's really hard to find superstars. They're super rare, um, super everything. But I think he's pretty good. I just, it'll be good for him to come off the bench. I, I just think the expectations had to be lowered. Again, a guy who some fluky, I suppose, I'll bring that word back, bubble stuff, probably inflated people's opinions on him too much. Like being in the Jack Harlow song and everything. Like, I just think we had, we, <laughs> yeah. we outpaced, we outpaced the, the performance by a lot with the expectations. Duncan, I find more interesting because he's such a good shooter. And I'm, I'm almost surprised that he's not more of a fact. It's against Milwaukee, he accomplished almost nothing. Like, I think he hit three threes early in the first game. And after that, they put Chris on him. And they were like, just he's not getting open. Just never leave him no matter what. Like, we'll play the other four guys differently, but you're just not going to leave Duncan. And they kind of took him out of it. And that's kind of something we've seen, I think, with a lot of these shooting specialists. After that round, and we kind of saw it with Bryn Forbes, is like, if a defense concentrates on a guy who really is like only going to shoot, it's just hard for that guy to maintain that same level of impact unless you're like literally Clay Thompson. So I, I, I'm a little like, I think he's good. I think he's helpful. I'm a little, if I were them, I'm a little nervous about what he's done in the playoffs and, and what it shows for you, especially, I think it's harder for him too how important he is to their spacing because they have so many guys who can't or won't shoot, right? Like if he was on a team with a lot of shooters, maybe it's a lot easier. He's oftentimes the only guy teams are that worried about from the perimeter. Lowry will help that, but you know, nobody, Jimmy won't shoot. Bam won't shoot. They all, they had a lot of guys who nobody like Ariza, nobody cares. PJ Tucker. Now they're going to find out fast that nobody cares <laughs> what he's doing from outside. Uh, Dwayne Dedman might be like a top five shooter and the guys they actually play, which is concerning. Um, so I, I like both of those young guys. I think they're good, but I, I have a little bit of a question of like, how useful are they this year in a deep playoff run? And that's what the heat need to plan for. I mean, they don't, this Lowry is like 38 years old now. Like they, they just, they need to be good right away. My God, you just said that Dwayne Dedman might be a top five shooter on that team. And I think you might be right. Like, in the in the rotation of guys they play, I mean, like, <laughs> oh my god, it's, That's, it's uh, Duncan, and then it's Lowry, and then I guess Oladipo, Oladipo I or Deadman, probably count Hero there, like Hero, yeah, like, Hero, Hero, yeah, you put Hero in. Man, that is. The, but the fact that I had to think about that one and I made a, a pretty ugly face when I heard that, uh, that's <laughs> that's pretty sketchy for sure. Uh, yeah. So there's there's a lot of questions with the Heat. They do have some top end talent. Kyle Lowry is going to change things for them, where if you play four on four, uh, basically trying to take out Duncan Robinson, Kyle Lowry can at least change the perspective in a four on four matchup in the in the half court. Uh, but it's going to be interesting and a lot of pressure on him, a lot of pressure on Jimmy, a lot of pressure on Bam. And, and maybe Bam is the guy that we're, we need to be talking about here that day. Hey, if he just takes a leap into becoming a consistent 20 point per game guy, then maybe that changes things. But we'll, we'll just have to see. And I'm still a little bit skeptical. Okay. Last one before we hit another break. Good Lord. Uh, Philly. uh, My big question with them is what the hell? Like, like what, (laughs) what, 
what do I even talk about here? How, how, how does anybody evaluate this team right now? That's the, that's the thing, right? Is you almost, you almost have to assume at, at some point they're going to swing the big Simmons trade. The issue they're running into, I think, is teams just aren't evaluating him either the same way they do or the same way they used to and, and hoped they would, especially in, in trade talks. Like, it, you're, they're, they're in, I think they, Embiid did them a big solid by signing the extension. Uh, I'll say that because I, I, I was looking at them as a team. They could have suddenly been under that Giannis level of pressure from Embiid. I think he had maybe had one or two years left, but they haven't they haven't won in the playoffs. They just haven't. They've never won two series in the same postseason. And they haven't always, you know, played a champion. I mean, God, they lost to the Hawks, who a good team, not a fluky team, should not have beaten the Philadelphia 76ers. And Ben was clearly an issue, not the only issue. But I think teams are are looking at this and going like, you know, every, for years it was like, oh, it's just the fit with him and, and Embiid. And it's just – and I think there's truth to that. But I think a lot of it is just on Simmons for not growing as a – regressing as a player, honestly. Like, you know, you talk about the fit and the spacing. The Sixers had awesome spacing. Seth Curry and Tobias Harris were lighting it up from deep. Joel has become a shooter, and he's going to live in the paint a lot, but he's still a weapon from anywhere on the floor. That's why he was pushing your guy Jokic for MVP and maybe wins it if he doesn't get hurt. But And, and I love that side note, the Sixers people are always like, availability is not a skill. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, every it year, definitely is. Every year they lose in the playoffs because Embiid can't play enough minutes because various reasons, and, and they get killed. And it's it's absolutely a skill, but that's a random uh, counter note. But like how the question really, I think for them is the Simmons stuff. And the question with Simmons, how much do you need to bend a team to make this guy work? And at what point is it not worth it? Because they had great spacing at every position. They didn't have an elite lead ball handler, but Harris was doing some, Seth Curry was doing some, and B is just going to kind of do some in his own. Like, what kind of situation does he need? Can he only play on the Warriors? And if the Warriors don't want him, then what do you do? Like, you just hope the Wolves will give you something? Like, it's just a mess. They, they've never been as good as they should be in the playoffs, really since they got rid of Jimmy. And they clearly need someone like that. But I have no idea who they would get to do that for this Simmons deal, who they would demean themselves to taking at least, because they don't want to trade him for anything but superstars. And nobody with superstars wants to flip them for Ben Simmons. It's a really tough spot for the Sixers and I'm just grinning from ear to ear talking about it. <laughs> oh, me too, man. Me too. There's a, there's a lot of animosity between Sixers Twitter and Nuggets Twitter over this last MVP battle. And it's a very Welcome. natural rivalry because you had initially, you just, just like Jokic and Embiid. And, and that was a, a strong rivalry. And this, these teams were pretty equivalent for that time. And, then you had Murray and Simmons who were in the same draft class. And uh, there was, there was a lot of talk about Ben Simmons being the player that people would rather have. And like, I, sure. Andy Bailey just put Ben Simmons number one on a redraft for 2016 over Jamal Murray at number two, but who else is even really thinking about that? Other than, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it is just such a weird situation 
And the Sixers have been in a weird situation for the last three years, or even longer than that, because the process is built off of an entirely weird, odd situation where the culture was just never really established. They're hoping to establish it now, but the coach that they brought in and the franchise player immediately trashed their second best player after game seven, in which he had the lowest point of his professional career. And I just have no idea how they can go back from that. There really doesn't seem like an answer. They want him to show up to training camp, but there's no way he's going to do that unless they, unless they really like put some financial constraints on him and say, hey, you're not going to get paid. He may just be like, fine, I don't want to deal with you. And I, I wouldn't blame him in the slightest if that was the case. So without him, they're sunk. There's no way that they like we've already seen that story play out against the Boston Celtics in the bubble where they got swept by the Boston Celtics. That is different than getting swept by the Phoenix Suns without Jamal Murray. It really is. Uh, and as, as you well know, having played the, the Phoenix Suns just, just recently. Um, yeah. If they don't have Simmons and if they don't trade him, they have some other younger guards that they can rely upon like a Tyrese Maxey, like a, well, I mean, uh, you, you could go to Jaden Springer, I guess, but really, it, it really is sunk if he's not back. So you probably have to trade him. And the question is where Minnesota has been brought up by you, as you know, uh, we brought up Sacramento, Greg Wisinger and I uh, just last night. And, and there was a very interesting package of Harrison Barnes, Buddy Heald and Davion Mitchell thrown out there that that might be kind of the best of both worlds for a team like them, but you're not getting the superstar talent back that you're, that you're really hoping for. And, and there's just a lot of questions about whether they can actually recoup that value. Is this team done? Like, like, is this the ceiling of this team? Like if they don't get a star back for Ben Simmons, how else are they going to get a second one? Yeah. I think really you got to look back and there's been so much reporting and counter reporting if they didn't do everything possible to get Harden, they messed up hard because that was the moment. If you do Simmons and Maxi and all the picks, which sounds ridiculous, but it sounded ridiculous then, maybe you look at it now, it would have been completely worth it because maybe you win the finals last year, maybe not. And clearly you're just, you're at such an easier place to go from. Like everything just makes so much more sense. That's the issue with this team really is that the construction doesn't make sense once you realize Simmons is not a Giannis level player. He's a Draymond Green level player, which is not even necessarily an insult, but that's just the kind of player he is. Like they're very similar scoring breakdowns in the playoffs um, thus far. They're like, they're, they're just, they're, you can't rely on them to lift a team or to lead an offense because it's their limitations. But if you can get them off ball, if Simmons, if Simmons could go play with like a Dame Lillard, I think they, that would be a really fun team or Fox or whoever else. I, I think that the Towns thing could work because Towns is like the greatest shooting big man maybe ever. It's ridiculous how good. So that, that's easier too than, than even than Embiid, although he has stretched out his game. But the issue is you're not getting back Fox. You know, you're getting, you might not even get back Halliburton is the reporting, right? And, you know, you're going to make Harrison Barnes and, and uh, what's his, um, I just said to Tobias play together. Like that's, that's yeah. like the ghost of future Pat or Christmas future or something. I don't know, but <laughs> It's, yeah, I just think they're like, they're kind of stuck. They're going to have to make a trade. I just think even without all the hard feelings, I think it's been obvious for like two years that we're going to have to trade one of them and it was always going to be Simmons. But 
Yeah, I think they need to figure it out really fast. Because, like, with Embiid, he's not really threatening to leave anymore. But just a guy who's talking about health issues with teams, you don't know how long his prime is going to be. And and I hope it's a really 100%. long time. He's a great player. He's really fun to watch. Great competitor. I think you really need to act as quickly as possible. And that's a Maury thing. Like, I, I think they probably are trying to. But I think they kind of shot themselves in the foot by not getting a deal done before now. And at this point, teams getting ready for the season, like I just don't see what it would be. And if they can't get like a, like it's maybe CJ McCollum's the absolute best you can do. I think that helps them. I don't know how much it helps them. ESPN had them forecasted at 50 and 32, had Miami forecasted at 49 and 33, Atlanta forecasted at 47 and 35. Uh, if if Philly doesn't have Simmons, I might actually flip all of those around. Yeah, to the point I, I where the Hawks doing the best. Yeah, where where Atlanta is, is the third seed, and then you've you've got them in a in a position of strength at that point where they could potentially go on a run, and and the Sixers have to be honest with themselves, or the Heat have to be honest with themselves, and that would be a very interesting matchup. Actually, the, the current version of Miami versus the current version of Philly. Uh, good Lord. <laughs> I, I, I want to see that first round yeah. matchup for sure. Uh, all right. Well, Hey, let's take our final break. When we come back, we are going to get to the Brooklyn nets and your team, the Milwaukee bucks, as I think boy, we can consider the co-favorites in the Eastern conference. We'll be right back. and roll ryan blackburn here final segment thank you so much for tuning in if you could rate review and subscribe five stars apple Podcasts, itunes wherever you get your podcast it would be so great love to grow this show and continue to do all these great things for the nuggets fan base and we've got some great things in store and then we've got a great thing here with ty windish who is covering the milwaukee bucks the championship caliber and the championship winning milwaukee bucks uh, from this past season, and and they're looking to repeat. But I'm not going to start with the Bucks. I'm going to start with their uh, semifinal opponents, who uh, they were they were a little bit hampered in in the in the semifinals for sure. But I think you can absolutely make the case that either of these teams could be the favorite. And based off of what Milwaukee did, based off of how unstoppable they are, you could make the case for them. And you can absolutely make the case that if Brooklyn has their three stars, that they should have been the favorite and they would have had a different result. So my question, Ty, their ESPN forecast, 58 and 24, Milwaukee's 57 and 25. Can the Brooklyn Nets stay healthy? Just just play with that one just a little bit. Yeah, I actually think I like the Bucks over better just because there's less questions about that and the bucks will probably be less likely to just randomly not have a guy for two weeks. Although that did happen with drew last year. Um, but I think they can probably stay healthy enough. I think they had a good off season. Um, they added basically all the guys I wanted the bucks to snag up um, mo- really more than any Patty Mills, who I thought Patty Mills would have been such a good sixth man for Milwaukee. Now, Almost surprised. I mean, clearly he wants a championship and he, he got their taxpayer mid-level, but 
you know, when, when they are healthy, I don't know how much he's actually going to be able to touch the ball, right? Like they have a couple of guys, a couple of guards who are going to handle the ball a whole lot. But I think really what, what I learned from watching the Nets last year, they don't even need to be completely healthy. Like if they have one of the two other guys in Durant, I think they could still beat just about anyone because they almost beat the Bucks like that. Um, and maybe they do if, if, you know, after Harden goes out, if Kyrie just stays healthy instead of them getting hampered Harden back, maybe they do. Kyrie was playing the best ball I'd ever seen from him, championship year included. He was having a two-way impact. I don't remember seeing from him. And really, night and day impact that series, half series against the Bucks versus the 2019 Celtics series against the Bucs. He was terrible. He was a ball, a black hole who was not contributing on defense and trying to do too much. He was just really good both both ways uh, in, in when he was healthy in the in the semis this year. So, you know, I think they just need to keep two of them around. And I think they need to really not have much drama, which they were good at last year. But now we already got this weird report that Kyrie would retire if he was traded. And I'm just like, who the hell was talking about trading Kyrie? Why would they do that? Like, is this just completely like blowing smoke or why would this even come up? Like, why would you trade any of those guys? Like you're already set. You're doing too much. If you're thinking about, Oh, which of these guys should we trade? None of them. None of them. You're so good. Don't trade any of them. And I'm seeing people on Twitter, like, well, if they could get some defensive pieces, no, you're overthinking it. Keep the three guys. You have that insurance of, you know, with all three, if you do lose Harden for a series, I think they could still beat everybody in the league and win a championship. I think it's less likely. I think they could still do it. If you trade Kyrie and then Harden goes down, then suddenly you end up with what they basically ended up with, where it's like KD and spare parts, and you can still damn near beat anyone, but it's just so much harder. I think they're set. I think they're really good. I think probably the championship is going to come down to who wins out of Bucks Nets again, like it did last year. Um, I think the West just it, due to injuries and other stuff just isn't up to the level of those two teams right now. Um, and I think the Nets could well beat the Bucks as much of a homer as I am. I would take the Bucks again, but the Nets on their best day, I think can really beat anyone because they're, they're ceiling talent. It's just about how often they're actually there, even when they are healthy. So there's questions, but I think they're in a very a strong position of strength. And it really like those three guys is such a terrifying trio. It is terrifying. And and one of the things that we never really saw with the Bucks was how they would be able to handle uh, both Kyrie and Harden being on the floor at the same time. Uh, it was always a question mark that when you brought in Drew Holiday, he's an excellent defender, maybe the best perimeter defender in the league, but he's also only one player. And when you have two elite scorers, just absolutely top A1 scorers on top of Kevin Durant. Uh, it just it just sort of changes the calculus. It sort of changes how you deal with certain things. In a playoff series like that, would Chris Middleton be tasked with being the other defender? Would they move uh, a healthy Dante DiVincenzo over, Pat Conson, whatever? Uh, what, do you, what do you think that they would do there? So they, they started game one. This is my favorite weird bucks thing that got lost history because it you know they only had all three for 47 seconds or whatever or in game one at least they started with Giannis on Kyrie which I thought was fascinating and I don't know how much they would have maintained that um and then Drew on Harden they like Chris on shooters I think they he's good at that defensively they like doing that so Chris was on Joe Harris and then everything else from there was was pretty um I mean it doesn't really matter as much you know I think 
they I forget who PJ started on, maybe Bruce Brown and then Brooke Lopez was on Blake. Um but well, it was on KD then. Or sorry, PJ was on KD. Duh. PJ yeah. was on KD and then Lopez was either on Bruce Brown or or Blake, whoever whoever was left. Um can't believe I forgot KD of all players. But <laughs> I think this year Dante would get a, a a start for sure. I mean Dante's whole thing is defense. If he had played, I imagine he would have gotten Kyrie. Because I think Harden's a little too strong for him. Although Kyrie's just too good for him, but you, you pick your poison. And then you put Drew on Harden, and then you kind of switch around there as you need to. This year, I would imagine Giannis probably picks up KD uh, to start games with the loss of P.J. Tucker. But I think they're going to give Rodney Hood and Shemi Ojale all year to prove themselves as like, you know, can you survive if we throw you out there on KD? Maybe you can, you're not going to be as good defensively as P.J. most likely, can you give us more offensively? Can maybe maybe it evens out to a, a net zero there, and and we can live. So I think you're going to see the Bucks just trying stuff all year, getting ready for that big question because they are the Nets. I think obviously the hardest team to figure out how to guard because most teams don't start two elite guard defenders. You kind of need that. Plus you need the big guy who can defend. Like if you're looking at the Nuggets perspective, oh cool, you got Aaron Gordon, you can throw really on any of them after he guarded Dame. I think he could guard any of the three. Okay, now what the hell else are you doing? There's such a nightmare. Um, so I, I think with Dante, it would, it, it would help a lot if he can be healthy. Maybe it's Grayson Allen by the time he gets to the playoffs, we'll see. Um, but I think the Bucks just had no guards, so it made it even harder last year um, for them to keep up with the full healthy nets that they barely saw. There is something to that where if if you're the Nuggets, then you're probably thinking, okay, yeah, Michael Porter, do we put him on Joe Harris and have him chase around Joe Harris? Probably not. That's probably not a good idea. Do There's we put him on <laughs> Kevin Durant? <laughs> do we put Nikola Jokic on Kevin Durant? Like, where are we? What are we doing here? Like, this is a uh, this is it's not like, a fun thought yeah. exercise. Like, there's such <laughs> little refuge. Like, your refuge is Joe Harris. Or Blake or Bruce Brown, like it's probably one of those three guys. Like even those guys, like Blake killed the Bucks one game just hitting threes. And I was tweeting like, you just you have to live with this. There's nothing you can do. You cannot yeah. sell out to stop Blake Griffin on this damn team. Yeah, I honestly might put Porter on Kevin Durant actually. Almost like, have to <laughs> because because just match up size for size and tell him, all right, this is your time. But <laughs> yeah. that's a that's that's one heck of a time right there. Yeah. Uh, so Nuggets fans are also hoping that Jeff Green is a big loss for the Brooklyn Nets. They're, they have a direct vested interest in that, given that Jeff Green now plays for the Nuggets. Uh, I, I wasn't able to watch that series as in-depth as I would have hoped. What were your impressions of Jeff Green in that series and how much he helped Brooklyn? Yeah, I think Jeff Green is kind of still just the same guy he's been, which is good for for the Nuggets getting him, right? Like. There's going to be a game where he is five for five. It feels like every single series and maybe he swings that game. Maybe he doesn't, but then there's going to be, he's going to be one for five or he's going to be, you know, oh for one or whatever. Like he, he waxes and wanes offensively still very spry. Uh, I would say defensively still a good defender. He's not going to lock anyone up, but I think he's useful on that. And I thought he was good in that series. Um, it's kind of weird. I mean, that's a weird position like that kind of four against the bucks. Cause you're pretty much guarding Giannis and it's like the worst job ever. And of course Gian- Giannis <laughs> bullied everyone the whole playoffs. Jeff Green was no exception, um, but I-, I think he's good. And I think he'll be helpful in the West with all those wings, even without, you know, Kawhi healthy, like having someone you could throw at Paul George for some possessions is helpful. 
I wouldn't rely on him being, you know, a sharpshooter every game. I think he's always kind of been that guy where it's like you get one or two Jeff Green games a series, use them wisely or take advantage of them. But I think he's going to be helpful. And and I kind of agreed your your thing earlier on Millsap. That was one where, you know, of course, you, you go to Twitter anytime a team makes a move. Oh, that's that's the finals. It's over right there, everything else. And the Nets have added, like, you know, all, they always seem to stock up on these stretch four fives for some reason. I was like, listen, if weird. If, if, yeah, it is weird. It's that they, they got LaMarcus back again. They retained Blake. Um, hopefully LaMarcus can stay healthy. But I just think what what is what is what is Millsap going to add? beyond Blake and when is he even going to play with their roster I I don't know he's not going to stop Giannis I don't really see the the great usefulness there I think Jeff Green probably has a better season and is more useful than Millsap yeah we're going to see man it's 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 just a fascinating roster that the Nets have put together Bruce Brown is such a unique piece where you kind of use him as a jack of all trades guard type which is is just very unique uh, Joe Harris was so bad as a shooter in the Nets se- or in the Bucks series, where that could absolutely flip around, and you just you just hope that it doesn't if you're if you're supporting the Bucks in this case. Uh, but let's move to the Bucks here. They lost PJ Tucker. There was a lot made. There's a bit to do made about that. Uh, where do you come down on that? If you if just as somebody who is as close to the situation as you are, he was very important to be clear. Uh, but there were definitely signs that he was he was losing some steps, right? Yeah, I mean, I think defensively he was great throughout the run. Obviously started three of the four series that they won a championship. And I think Milwaukee really appreciates him um, more than the Bucks did, apparently. Um, it was frustrating to lose him more than anything else because they could have made all the other moves they made and kept him. It just would have been a huge luxury tax bill. And that's just, especially with Bucks fans dealing with the, their current ownership, is just been a hot button topic and will continue to be one it helps that i think after they lost well for, they they retained bobby portis which that was always the bigger one because even if he doesn't play at the end of the net series portis is 25 pj is you know older than 35 like that just it matters when when your best player is Giannis, who's 26 right it really it really matters that's really important and he portis showed uh in the phoenix series that he can be relied on sometimes as a two-way player. And he was great to end the Atlanta series as well. And I think you look at, you know, can we can he take a half step forward on defense? And if he does, you know, maybe again, you give up more uh, more defensively, of course, than Tucker. But Portis is, you know, it's kind of a flip-flop of skill sets, right? Like Portis gives you so much on offense. Tucker gave the Bucks almost nothing. Like offensive rebounding and very occasional corner threes. That was about it. And we, we talked about a little bit as it was happening. Maybe you don't start PJ for all these games against the Suns. The Suns were not a great matchup for him. It was hard for him to guard down, I think. But he, of course, did did well enough for them to win a championship. Um, a little bit of it maybe was they just didn't have that many other options. But um, still, he, he was good in, in every series, although he barely played against Miami and in the regular season. So I think really uh, it stinks to lose him. You'd rather have him than not have him. I do begrudgingly understand why they made the move. And I think you add guys like George Hill, who they used part of their MLE on, um, and then Rodney Hood and Semi Ojale, and, and then Grayson Allen. I thought that trade was really good. I think they have a lot That's more right. they have a lot more functional depth than I think they had last year. Their big question really is just basically 
who's going to guard Katie? That's it. That's the one question that you have after losing Tucker. But unfortunately for the Bucks, it's a really big, really important question. They're going to need a damn good answer to if they want to repeat as, as champions, as hard as that is to do. Yeah. Like it's almost sort of falls to Giannis naturally in that situation, right? Like yeah. if you're, if you're going to keep Brook Lopez as your not token starter at center, but, but, a, a very important piece, somebody who helps get you through the regular season and also gets you through segments of the playoffs against some of those bigger players. Eventually you're going to have to downsize. Eventually the, the nets are going to downsize and they're going to realize, okay, yeah, we have Joe Harris and, and he's going to stand on the floor and we have our three stars and we prefer Bruce Brown or we prefer another shooter. Yada, yada. Patty, yeah. Yeah. Patty Mills, especially. So it's going to be coming down to small ball fives and, and Giannis is perhaps the best option at that in the NBA. Um, are you a bit worried that they, they don't have a true wing body to sort of replace PJ Tucker other than maybe semi Ojale or I don't know. I don't know who else would it be. Hood would be the other one. Okay. Um, okay. I think that that's their big question. So I think they're going to use pre-trade deadline to figure out how much they can rely on, on either of those guys. And I think hood is just, of course, the injury thing is a question mark. If you got healthy Rodney hood, then you feel pretty good about it. He's not the defender of course, that PJ even now is, but can do a lot more offensively as well. And gives them a little bit of juice. They haven't really had on the wing outside of Chris and you know, this whole, this whole bucks era. So that could be interesting. Semi is more like a Shemi is more like a, you know, trying to replace as close to PJ as possible. And I think he's not the defender either. He's not a great offensive player either, but maybe he can become a better shooter. His numbers were a little bit better than PJ, even playing on uh, a less, a, a, a worse offensive fit for him. I think playing off Giannis will be easier than what he's been doing the last couple of years in Boston. So, but I think really that, that John Horst, the Bucks GM, it's almost always made a midseason trade. It's really a staple. I mean, 19, he gets Miritich. Uh, in 20, he picks up Marvin Williams. That was a buyout. But I think they also made a trade that year. I could be forgetting. Uh, and then this year, last year, of course, was P.J. Tucker. And they've always been able to do that with a handful of second-round picks, maybe a little bit of salary. So this year, you look at I, – I would not be shocked if they trade one of Dante or Grayson. Um, they're both going to expire after this year, and I think – they tried to trade Dante last year and the NBA didn't let him. So it wouldn't shock me if around the deadline, Dante and a handful of picks go out and another wing player come in, especially if Grayson has certified himself in that spot. If Dante has a good year, then probably not. We'll see what happens. Still a little banged up, might not be healthy to start the year. But I think I think they're going to make a trade almost no matter what. They always do. But I think they're really going to look to make one for that position, depending on how they feel about Hood and Ojale at that point in the season. I like Dante. I think that he was an, an underrated loss for the group. And the fact that they won a title without him says a lot about the rest of their group. I don't think it says that much about Dante specifically. Uh, he is a good player and he's still a super young player. So just try to, trying to pencil him in as, as X, Y, or Z, I think is probably too premature. Uh, just from a national perspective. I know Bucks fans, of course, are, are still going to hold on to the ceiling if, if at all possible. Uh, but he's a guy that you could really see if, if he develops his defense and can be a tangible uh, threat against a team like Brooklyn or giving, giving Drew a, an occasional break in a playoff series so he doesn't have to tire himself out 
to the degree that I think that he did throughout that playoff run, uh, it would be really good for them. It would just be just a, a massive help if he wasn't the guy that they had to trade. What about Pat Conson? Like he's a, he's a guy who also feels in that category of player that they may decide to move. I, I, I don't think so. Um, they, if, if it, I think they really like Pat. I think Giannis in particular really likes Pat. And honestly, he won me over during the playoff run. I infamously said during the net series, late in the net series, if they win it all, his jersey should be retired in Milwaukee. And I stand by it. They were down to playing six guys in that series. Pat was one of the six. Um, And just, I I think he was obviously crucial. They don't have him. You can't really win a series with five playable guys. It just doesn't usually work that way. Um, And it really highlights also how not deep the Bucs were after losing Dante. They just didn't have that many players, especially guards. I mean, Jeff Teague and Bryn Forbes were just not not it after the first round, although Teague had a great moment against the Hawks. But um, I I think I feel good about the Bucs, even if they have that wing hole. And they could use a backup center, but it's not a huge deal because, like you said, in the playoffs, the two centers are going to be Lopez and Giannis with Portis kind of sort of playing it, but mostly actually as a four um, especially out there with Giannis, but they, the, the big wing hole is one they have to fill, but I think overall they're deeper. They, they are deeper. Um, I think they're going to keep Pat cause he's a locker room guy. He proved himself in the playoffs. He's become a much better shooter since coming to Milwaukee and he's kind of sneakily a, a big wing, although he's only six, five, I want to say he's really right. strong. So like we've seen him play well against a guy like Gallo. Can't do KD though. <laughs> that's that's a negative. So Brooklyn is probably the toughest matchup for him. Although, like, I, I don't have any concern about putting him on a guy like Blake. I think that's just fine. Um, but I like him on a bigger guy more than a smaller guy most of the time. He's stronger than he is quick, if that makes sense. Yeah, even if it's a guy like Mo Harkless, uh, and just in that sort of tier to fill out the rotation a little bit, give you some more optionality. That seems like the way that they would probably go. Uh, but man, hey, there's there's not a lot of questions here. This is a, the the only other one that I will float. Drew Holiday is going to be in his 13th year. He's in his age 31 season heading into this year. How long they are at the peak of their powers? Middleton uh, in his 10th year at age 30. How long Holiday is in his peak of his powers? I think we'll sort of determine just to the degree that they can go. Uh, but it's also simply possible that Giannis ascends to a higher plane of reality here where he has this full understanding of his own game after going through those trials and tribulations for the first time. We saw LeBron James, once he won his first title, then come back in the 2012-13 season and become just an absolute, like it, it might be the greatest season ever. And I think Giannis, while he may not be capable of the greatest season ever, is very much in that tier of player. Yeah, I mean, I think it's you got to feel good as a Bucks fan, and I do feel good as as a Bucks fan slash podcaster. He's twenty six, just won a championship, and just played the best ball we've ever seen from him. The last time we saw him play, and of course, the the ratcheted up intensity and everything matters, but. I do think he's going to be better than we've seen him even in the regular season. I think things just make more sense to him now. And I think crucially he embraced, I am more of a Shaq than a Kobe. And I think that was a big thing. He had tried to be a LeBron like player and the playoff run. The reason they won it all is even with their warts, he let Chris and drew 
be the perimeter players. And he said, you know what? Instead of bringing the ball up and trying to go 1v5 from the top of the key, I'm going to post up here. And there's going to be shooters and good players around me. So if you bring too much help early, someone's going to be wide open at the basket. And if you don't, I'm just going to dominate whoever's on me in the post. No one has the combo of size, strength, and speed. And that changed everything for him in the Bucks. And I think it's hard to not feel good. I think I'm smashing their over. Like, I think they're going to win a ton of games. They're really good. They're deep. Giannis is going to be better than ever. And yeah, I think they're going to have to pivot at some point from Chris and Drew to some other complimentary players, just as like a five-year age difference or so. That's going to be the question. I don't think they have to worry about it yet this year, hopefully. Correct. Yeah. Um, but at some point they will. And that, that is a thing. But I think for now, for probably the next, they would hope, I would hope, two to three years. I think you more or less run it back and try to add pieces like Portis to the ecosystem. And, and just that's what I think that's what the Grayson Allen thing is too. Like try a guy who's that age out. And if he fits, we'll find a way to keep him like they did with Lopez and some other players over the years. Ty, you've been awesome, man. I really appreciate you spending an extended period of time with me. That's just uh, I talk we, too much. No, it's, you know, everybody says that and it's always my fault. It really is. So I, I appreciate you, you hopping on with me. Do you have anything in the, in the works that you want to plug here before we head out? Um, really just everything, you know, the Eurostep podcast, part of the Eurostep podcast network. Now we got two, two shows within the same feed, you know, really just covering all, all things bucks all year round. So, you know, we have YouTube, we have a sub stack that's free and of course the pod. So bit.ly slash find GSPN will cover you on everything, uh, all buck stuff. So if you're interested in the bucks, we will bring you the content for sure. But although just really just consistent coverage, just like you're doing here for the Nuggets, just really hammering on, on everything the fans need to know. So uh, really just that, I would say that's it. But thank you so much for having me. It was a blast to go over all these bad teams in the East, plus the Bucks and Nets. <laughs> I love it, man. Thank you so much for tuning in. For everybody else, that'll do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Make sure to use promo code MHS when you sign up. And I will talk to you guys next week. I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one 844 Cosentix. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. 
Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top-quality, personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.